Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to pick it up in verse 1. The context here is John has just given us a picture of uh, of the throne room of God. And then this scene unfolds before him. He's reporting to us what he's seen. And this scene unfolds before him. And we read this about the one who's sitting on the throne. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and a golden and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. I'm going to, just for the sake of time, I'm going to stop reading right there. As we contemplate this, friends, are you aware? Right now it seems to show up in a significant way. And probably there's other times in the year when it does. But uh, it, it strikes me that we're constantly on the lookout for champions. I'm going to spend this afternoon, Lord willing... I'm going to spend this afternoon watching, to me, what is the most enjoyable thing to watch on a Sunday afternoon, and that is not only one of the major golf tournaments, but this is the PGA Championship being played at Whistling Straits, a course which I have had the privilege of playing twice. It killed me both times, but I've seen the course. I've been there. I understand how hard what they're doing is, and there's some new guys coming up. There are new guys coming up in the golf world. Um, I think we ought to let Tiger Woods go into retirement. I don't mean that negatively. I just feel like we need to give this guy some space. Uh, There are new names that are there, and it's going to be fascinating to see which one of these young golfers is going to win today. Uh, We're looking for a champion, somebody who's going to carry in the golf world those next guys who who gives golf some significance so that that as a whole can continue. Are you following baseball? The old boys of summer, right? Man, oh man, there are some things that are happening. I've read some articles, and guys, they're comparing them to one of the, the guy out there now, one of the best Baseball players of all time, perhaps. This guy may actually compete with with Babe Ruth for that honor. That's how good this guy is. How about those Cubs? Nine in a row. A guy from Chicago on the north side could begin to hope that maybe this is the year they'll be my champion, right? We think in this. What did Hillary Clinton say she wanted to be? Hillary Clinton, as she announced her candidacy in the political realm, She wanted to be the champion of the middle class, didn't she? 
She's the one who's going to raise the the specter for them, and she's the one who's going to lead them, and she's the one who's going to change the, the world for their sakes. We're looking for a champion. And as this Bible passage opens up, and there is the Father seated on the throne in magnificent glory. You ought to read Revelation chapter 4 to get the context of this. Revelation chapter 4 is one of those couple of magnificent scenes in Scripture that display for us the throne room of God. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to get our arms around it. In fact, you almost sense when you're reading it that, the, that those who were inspired to write about what they were seeing could barely could barely put it into words. It's so magnificent what they are seeing. But in that context, the Father who's on the throne, there is a scroll with seven seals, and the question goes out, who can open this scroll? Who is worthy to open this scroll? And they look around, and they see nobody who's worthy. There is no champion who can pick up the cause and say, what's in there? What reality is is inside of that scroll that needs to be revealed? Because there's nobody worthy enough even to take the scroll and break the seals and see what is revealed. And so there's this sadness about that. But one of the elders says, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll. Fascinating proclamation there. In that it takes us, here we are, we're in, the, we're in the book of Revelation, we're in the last book of the Bible, and it takes us all the way back to the book of Genesis to understand who Judah is. And it ties the entire Bible together. It takes us back to Samuel, and David's line is the great king. And it ties all of this together. And it says, the one whom they predicted, the one who they foretold, he is worthy to open the scroll. He is able to take it from the Father's hand and to begin to break those seals and understand what it is that is revealed in each of them. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Clearly references to the person and the majesty of Jesus Christ, the ultimate champion, the one of all of redemptive history, the one whom, as we considered a lengthy time in, 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 in our study of the Scriptures, a lengthy time, we said, man from creation to redemption, that one who is the focal point of redemption, that one, he alone is worthy to approach the throne, to take the scroll, to open the seals. How magnificent is Christ our champion. For without him, without his magnificent work, without his death in our place on Calvary's cross, we had no hope. We had no redeemer. We had no possibility of ever being reconnected with the holy God who sits on the throne because his holiness and majesty must, must take find distance because of our sin. But this one, this champion, 
is able to come, who has already interceded for us as the lamb that was slain. Christ is the champion. We must gather that as, as significant to, and central to this particular text, that Christ alone is the champion. And as we then take that, wrap it around what is here, consider as we read, you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. And I just love this part of this verse out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Consider the magnificence, the inescapable magnificence of the scope of the work of this champion, of this one who is worthy, absolutely worldwide in its scope. From every, from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And if I could just get just a little bit personal, this is why, part of the reason why in my two trips, this verse comes back to me all the time, in my two trips to Vienna is because Vienna is uniquely situated. The, we literally, literally drive by the United Nations to get to the camp. We literally, I think it was the day or two days after Kerry was there signing that whole, I don't care what your perspective is on it, on that, the treaty with Iran, we, we were literally guests on a boat with somebody who uh, they took us out to eat and they were swimming off of the boat. We had a great time, this beautiful warm summer night in Vienna. And I have pictures of we're in this boat and I would say closer than from here to the school is the UN. Now I say that because it brings such an international element there. And that international element is what is coming to that camp. So I, I, I have never asked them to count this, but my estimation is there are no less than 20 nations represented in that English camp by the kids whose parents, one way or another in Vienna, because the UN is right there and it's such an international setting, and they send their kids to this English camp. They look for it every year because they know there's this camp doing something that is working. And I think to myself, this is what God is doing. As the gospel is going out and these kids are responding to the gospel, right now the world is here and we have a very strategic means of reaching kids who one day, some of them are going back to their native countries and some are carrying the gospel back with them. We have this privilege to watch the world here, but it reminds us that God's work is entirely around the world. That it is not located to our particular area. And it's so easy for us to just get, kind of get locked into that. That the work of God is happening in our area here. And sometimes we go even further to think the work of God is only happening in this particular church in this area. It's like, no, that is not the case. God is working this magnificent Scope, magnificent work, so that those who proclaim their champion say, you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And that scope is not simply worldwide. That's simply that. It's time-wide also. This book that we're looking at, this book that starts in Genesis, which we've referenced, and goes all the way to Revelation, which we're in right now, this book describes God's redemptive work 
as having begun, literally proclaimed when Adam and Eve first sinned. And he promised the coming Redeemer. He promised the coming of the line of the tribe of Judah. He promised the King David's uh, offspring who would, who would sit upon the throne. He promised all of that. And through all of these centuries where man is, is darkened and fallen and broken, through all of these centuries, God's message of redemption has been working and working and working. So the day is going to come when those of us who know Jesus Christ, and I trust that within this room, I hope that is all of us. I pray that it is all of us. That one day we will proclaim with these saints in glory that God has redeemed us from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And I believe much of what we will do in all of eternity is get to know those people. Not only from another place in the world, but from another time in history. And we're going to be blown away how God reached into lives individually. This inescapably magnificent scope by which God is redeeming men to himself. So it is our privilege to be called to become a part of it. We become a part of this group, this entity from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. When we respond to the message of Jesus Christ, when we recognize He alone is the champion that the Bible sets forth, when we recognize that we, like everyone else on earth, have been born into a fallen, broken people, that sin keeps us in rebellion to God, and we repent of that, and we call upon Jesus Christ, and we say, Lord, I'm done fighting against God. Lord, I'm done trying to make excuses for my sins. Lord, it's, it's just time for me to recognize that I'm every bit as broken, I'm every bit as sinful, I'm every bit as fallen as you tell me that I am. And I confess that, and I confess I have but one hope, the champion, Jesus Christ. When we do that, we become part of this every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. We become a part of that. What a magnificent privilege that we have that promise and that hope that one day we will be in glory and we will sing this new song also. And we will stand before the throne of God and we will say it is our song to sing and it is our praise to give to him. That's magnificent that we're called to become a part of it. But I would like to throw out this last thought. We're also called to be a part of it. We also have the privilege of being engaged in this redemptive work that is ongoing. We're called to, we have, we have the offer that, uh, that calls us to say, guess what? Not only did God call you to become a part of it so that one day you'll sing these praises, but God's calling you to be actively engaged. That there's a place where he wants you hands-on involved in some aspect of ministry. As Jesus Christ came to serve, that you're learning how your life is to be a service to God. That's when it gets fun, friends. That's when it gets exciting. These who are up here, three of us went back already, so we've answered the question by our very lives that would you go back to Vienna once having been there? Yes, we would. I've asked all three of the others, would you go back to Vienna given the right opportunity? Absolutely. All three of them said, I would go back. I'd go back. I'd go back. 
Why are they excited? Why have a number of the Vienna people made a second trip? Heather's been to India a couple of times. Heather Olson. Okay, did you make India both times? Did you go twice? You went once. She's gone once. But you've been on, you've been on trips a couple of times. Why do these people get excited? Why do they say, we will go back? You know, because they got engaged. That's why. They got engaged. And did you hear how significant what Peggy said was? Could, could God use a housewife, a housewife and a mother from Lake Bronson? Kind of isolated out there, right? And she came back and she saw that God has a place for her in the kingdom. How magnificent is that? But had she not been there, she's still been living with this conclusion. God can't, doesn't need me, can't use me. I got nothing to offer. Got to tell you, there was one point, see, See, this all, there's a point in saying all this, Richard and Roland, you saw that? You, you said, at one point, you saw the names Richard and Roland, okay? All of us chuckled who are on this team. We chuckled when we saw Richard and Roland. In fact, because here's what, here's what I did, and, and it's, it, it's shameful that I did this. I, I, I'm sorry, okay? Mary Capping, you're laughing. I'm sorry. I was, I, I'm ashamed that I did this. But in this room where we're meeting, all right, I don't recall if it's the second or third day that we're meeting there. All right, I see that here's Peggy at the very back row, and our task we are given as tasks is when kids get a little unruly, the rest of us as adults are supposed to help them calm down, help them settle down. There's nobody like Richard and Roland. I mean, Richard and Roland are like, zing, zing, zing. We had some workbook stuff to do with them. And I am not exaggerating when I say, sat down with them, and they're actually writing their workbooks like this. And that's not an exaggeration. That is how they're doing them, okay? And they're just going through this thing, and they're everywhere. So that's who Richard and Roland are. So I'm at the very back of the room, and at this first back pew, because, you know, I like to stand. I, I like to watch what's going on in the room. And right smack in the center, here's Peggy, and Richard on one side, Roland on the other. And they are both in her lap and in her face and reaching over her. And I could see she's just dying with both of them, one of them is more than a handful. She had both of them. And I stood back there saying to myself, you know, I know I should be separating them and helping Peggy, but this is just too fun to watch. Because <laughs> this is absolutely impossible. There's no way that she can control these two, you know? And so I figured, well, I'll give it a couple minutes, then I'll help. And somebody else came in and helped, and they didn't have quite the fun with it, apparently, that I was having. They had more compassion than I was having fun. But you see, friends, when those pictures were being shown, here's the point. All of us smiled when we saw the Richard and Roland's name come up. All of us at some point when those pictures were there, we're just enjoying. There's memories that were there. We saw the significance. And I'm telling you the truth. There were places where I was on the verge of tears watching pictures. That to everyone else, I know they're not having this response. Others aren't here on the verge of tears because of these pictures. Why? Bore a significance to me because I had the privilege of being a part of it. The guys are going to come back. This team is going to come back from Mexico, and they're going to show pictures. And I guarantee you to the team that comes back from Mexico... And I am so excited by what is happening there to the team that comes back from Mexico. And those pictures are going to roll and it's going to move their hearts and they're going to be stirred. 
just by those pictures. And they will smile at some and they will weep at some. And the rest of us will go, those are nice pictures. We're glad you had a good time. And the connection won't be the same. Why? Because we won't have been engaged that way. And here's the point, friends. Here's the point that I was trying to get to. We can hear about the magnificence of who Jesus Christ is. We can study the scriptures and intellectually absorb that people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation are being redeemed, that it's taking place through the centuries. God's doing a magnificent work. We may actually become a part of that, but until we recall to this, respond to the call to be a part of that, our connection with it will always be limited. If we are not hands-on engaged, allowing God to use us in his body, allowing God to reveal to us how he wants to use us because we've taken a risk, i.e. the porters. Both went there a little bit in trepidation. Had never, neither of them had flown before. Their first trip all the way to Vienna. That's a big step. But it's in the being in the kingdom work where we begin to get excited. So can I just encourage this? Somewhere, God has a place that he wants you involved. He wants you engaged. I don't know what the gifting is of everyone here. I do know I appreciate everyone here. But somewhere in there, there's a place of engagement where you'll go, I just really love God's work when I can be a part of it in this place. Because that's where your giftedness and your calling is beginning to resonate with what God is doing. And when that point happens, you're sold. I promise, you're sold. But we got to take that risk. We got to take that chance. We got to say, you know, uh, I'm not sure what it is yet. Might take three, four, five, six, eight, ten, twelve experiences until I sort out how God has wired me, what my place is. But I'm committed to finding it out, and God's committed to showing us. We're kind of coming up on a fall ministry. Even Becky said today, hey, reference what's in your bulletin, okay? Need help just for a picnic. That's a place of service. Even in that, you'll be learning where, where do I fit in? How, what do I like to do? But we're going to have a ministry fair this year. We're going to have opportunities to lay out all of the ministries that we're involved in as a church on our kickoff Sunday. And you're going to have a chance to see, here's everything that goes on, and some of them may minister to you, and you might be marking them that I'd like to be involved, that it would minister to me, but there'll also be places of opportunity. There'll be places say, we could use help in these areas. And if we just give it a nod of the head and go, oh, it'd be nice for that ministry to go, that's one thing. We'll never get passionate about it if we're not involved with it. So I'm encouraging us to give serious consideration. What is God's call upon our lives? Peggy answered a call. Peggy answered a call where she thought God was saying, I want you in Vienna. And I promise you, her life will never be the same. That's where being a part of this whole thing really begins to get exciting. Otherwise, we watch it as pictures on a screen and we go, oh, that's nice. Stirs nothing. Father, thank you. Thank you for those that whom you have sent. Thank you for Nathan who's on his way. Thank you for those who you are sending, Lord. I thank you for the joy that and the privilege that is ours as we get engaged in your work. Something begins to fire up inside of us. May each of us be open and respond to that call of sacrificial duty that you 
place upon us that we might grow to be more like Christ because of it. We ask in his precious name. Amen.